We have five senses that we rely on to learn about the world around us. Our senses collect information about our environment and send it to our brain to process. In a split second, our brain then sends signals through through a complicated highway of nerve cells known as our nervous system to communicate a response or a reaction. Our thoughts, emotions, behaviours, movements and sensations are all responses to the information sent to our brain via our sense of sight, hearing, touch, taste and smell. Of the five senses, vision is the most dominant sense. 80% of all impressions are perceived through sight. 30 to 40% of our brain is devoted to vision compared to 8% for touch and 3% for hearing. It is evident that we rely heavily on our sight to understand what is happening around us. The phrase, seeing is believing, has been around since it was first penned in 1635. However, the concept that our physical or that only physical or concrete evidence is convincing has been around much longer than that. In fact, we can draw numerous examples from the Word of God where the concept of seeing is believing is communicated. Second Kings chapter 7, we have an instance where there's a famine in Samaria and the prophet comes to inform the king that the famine will be over in 24 hours with flour and barley readily available for all. And the noble whose hand the king leaned answered, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be. I'll believe it when I see it. In Luke 16, the rich man dies and finds himself in a place of torment and asks Abraham to send the beggar, who is also dead, from his place of comfort to his brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham responds, Your family has Moses and the prophets that can testify of these things. Let them hear them. But in Lazarus's thinking, if someone came back from the dead and gave an eyewitness account of the afterlife to his brothers, they would believe and would repent. Lazarus was convinced that seeing was believing. And then we have the classic, classic example of Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, who said he wouldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until he saw it for himself. John 20 and 25. On the surface... Seeing is believing seems airtight. How can you refute what you have physical or concrete evidence for? My grandfather sat in front of his television and watched with the world as Neil Armstrong made history by being the first man to walk on the moon. To the day he died, he refused to believe it happened and argued until he got angry that it was a trick. He was an interesting man, my grandfather. Even though the evidence presented at the Nuremberg trials in 1945 to 1946 were taken from records kept by Nazi German, the Nazi Germany state and accounts by survivors coincide with those reports, there are those today that believe that the Holocaust, the execution of six million Jews by Nazi Germany never took place and it was a hoax. Jesus did more miracles than were recorded. John 21 and 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, 
The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books written. Amen. And many witnessed these miracles with their own eyes and even received them. And John 12:37 says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed him not, or they believed not on him. These examples show us that regardless of how tangible or concrete the evidence is, and even if we have something, even if we have seen something with our own eyes, we can be vision impaired. Life's experiences and other influencing factors have trained our brain to process information received by by our senses in a certain way. Therefore, the same image can be perceived and responded to differently by various people. Daniel, if you could put that image up for me. What do you see? What do you see first? What you see first is what you believe that this is a picture of. However, I know this image represents two animals of which I can see both clearly. You see, some will see the rabbit first and be blinded to the duck and some will see a duck first and be blinded to the rabbit and others will see both and be able to quickly change their their perception to switch between the two. Several experiments have been done using this image. Interestingly, the image shown to participants at different times of year gets 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 different results. When children are shown the image during Easter, guess what? They see the rabbit. But the same image shown to children later, at a later time of year, see the results change and they see the duck. You may refuse to believe there's a duck here. You may refuse to believe there's a rabbit. But the truth is that both animals are represented in this image. Life as we know it is made up of the visible and the invisible. The visible is obviously obvious and it's the stuff we see in front of us. The invisible things are just as obvious except we can't see them. Oxygen, some gases, atoms. DNA, cells, bacteria, sickness, radiation, sound, just to name a few. These things can't be seen with our naked eye. They are invisible, yet we don't have to see them to believe they are there. A very important aspect of human life that is also invisible is the spiritual part of us. We are both physical and spiritual beings. One person said, we're spiritual beings trapped in physical bodies. When God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul, created to worship and communicate with God. Adam could see both aspects of life, physical and spiritual, very clearly. He had a three-dimensional perspective or stereoscopic vision. Stereoscopic vision is what happens when our brain processes two views with a slightly different perspective. Much like when you close one eye, you see, which is, this is my left eye, I see the same image but more left of it. And when I close my right eye, I see more of the right. So you've got these two images. If you keep going like that, you get the two different images. And, when the, and our brain processes those two views 
with a slightly different perspective and it fuses them together. The way of friend. And it makes us see three dimensions. Adam had the ability to see the two perspectives, physical and spiritually, fused together. Even though our duck rabbit image isn't 3D, Adam could see both. He lived aware of both the physical and spiritual realms. However, when sin entered the picture, his vision became impaired. The spiritual perspective was cloudy and out of focus. The only view that was clear was the physical perspective. He would struggle to try bring, to bring those two views together. Sin had obscured the view that would, of that which was spiritual. Now our default perception is the physical. And, we, and this is a struggle to change and to switch between the two. So we, have, we, we can see the things that are in front of us, not a problem. This is a pulpit. It's made of wood. I can see that. But if there was an angel standing here, I can't see it. But that doesn't mean that this place isn't surrounded by angels. But if Adam was standing here in his perfect state, he would see the angels and he would see what was in front of him. Now we're restricted to live life, as Diane Ackerman, an American author, said, on the leash of our senses. It's like we're dragged around by what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we touch and what we taste. Just as the results of the duck rabbit image is influenced by the time of year the test is carried out, how we observe and process what is happening in our life is influenced by our circumstances and our situations. The information gathered by what we see of our environment is processed through a flawed perspective. Romans 8 and 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Paraphrased, those that live with, with seeing things through a physical perspective give their attention to physical things. But those that live and are aware of spiritual perspective focus on the things that are spiritual. However, God did not intend for humanity, his prized creation, to be blinded to the things that are spiritual. In his foreknowledge, God knew that humanity would fail and he put in place a plan to redeem us from sin and restore that right relationship with him. Through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too can choose eternal life. He has made the way that we do not have to earn the wages of sin, which is death, but through obedience to his word, we can have access to the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus preached to Nicodemus, who came to him by night, that we must be born of water and of spirit, or we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that he was the way, and that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that we could be restored spiritually that we would be able to perceive spiritual things and empower us to live beyond this physical realm. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter preached Christ unto the crowd that had gathered, they were convicted when they realized they were sinners and they asked, what shall we do? And Peter answered and said unto them, repent, turn away from your old life, stop doing the things that please yourself and do not please God. 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the removal, the taking away. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we are born of water, when we're born again of water and the Spirit, as the Scripture has said, we come alive spiritually. We are cleansed from sin and we're no longer separated from God. He removes the weight of sin and shame we have carried and we're no longer confined to the cold, hard facts of of the physical realm. He restored that which is lost by Adam's sin and we slowly begin to see the spiritual perspective of the picture of our life a little clearer. However, because we still live in a world ruined by sin, our, spirit, our spiritual perspective is still, we still have vision impairment. We can't see clearly. However, God has given us tools we need to see clearly. Now, what do you look through to see clearly? Glasses, spectacles, prescription sunglasses, bifocals, goggles. Faith is like a pair of glasses that helps us not to see, that helps us to see, not only to see clearly, but it brings things into the right perspective. We can bring the two views, both physical and spiritual, together and have a deeper meaning of what is happening in our life. Faith enables us to change our perspective and to switch between seeing physical and spiritual. Faith refuses to be dictated by what we see in the physical realm. God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. That means we all have faith in us. Our faith is increased by hearing the word of God. It may not be obvious immediately, but over time, like a seed planted, faith mixed with the word of God begins to grow and it changes the way we see and perceive things. Our mind is renewed. We begin to see both views of the picture clearly. When we have our faith glasses on, we see both the physical and the spiritual perspective of our lives. It's like we see in 3D because we have depth of understanding that we lacked before. Yes, the physical situation may look hopeless, but seen through the eyes of faith, we see beyond the hopelessness. We can change our perception and switch between that which looks hopeless and that which gives hope. Numbers 13 verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Numbers 13. I didn't have an opening scripture tonight or a title. (laughs) Numbers 13 verses 1 and 2. Thank you, Jesus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Twelve influential men, leaders, one from each tribe of Israel, was chosen for a reconnaissance mission into the land of Canaan. This is the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The Israelites had endured 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God had miraculously delivered them from bondage and destroyed their enemy with the, under a wall of water. He had prepared them for this moment. He had provided for them miraculously every day since leaving Egypt. He, 
he provided meat for them when they craved it. And when they ran out of water, water, he provided that for them too. He had proven his power and majesty, leading, with, leading them with a pillar of cloud to shelter them from the sun by day and a pillar of fire by night. He had given them his law and instructions for governors, governance. <clears throat> the only thing they lacked was their own land so, they could, so that God could establish his nation. His people would finally have a home. God had brought them to the land that he had chosen for them, the land that he had promised to give them. After 40 days, these spies returned to camp to report on what they saw. They had surveyed the land and confirmed that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey and brought back fruit to show that it's just as God had said. They had observed the region and gathered information about the people that dwelt there. The people that dwelt in the land were strong and the cities were walled and very great and there were giants in the land. I don't know if it was the tone in which each leader gave their report or the worried looks on the faces of those in the congregation at the mention of giants that caused Caleb to interrupt and proclaim, let us go up at once. And possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Twelve men were chosen to go. Twelve men saw exactly the same things. However, ten men could only see the giants and the walled cities. Sure, it was a land a plenty, just like God had said. Plenty of room, just like God had said. Beautiful farms, houses ready to walk into and occupy, just like God had said. But there are giants in the land. With their vision impaired, they gave their report, seeing only the physical perspective of what was in front of them. They fo their focus was on how they felt about what they saw and how it magnified their inadequacies. They had removed God from the picture. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb went in prepared. They had their faith goggles on which enabled them to change their perception and switch between what they saw and that which God had said was theirs. Joshua and Caleb didn't deny the existence of the great walled cities or the giants. They saw them too. But through the eyes of faith, they received a deeper understanding of what, that God was at work. He that had kept them and provided for them up to this point was still well able to take care of the giants and fulfill his promises. Numbers 14, 7 to 9. The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And, and the Lord is with them. Fear them not. The Lord is with us, fear them not. But the children of Israel could not see past the, re the, the report that concerned them physically. Their vision was impaired. They could not see Joshua and Caleb's perspective. They refused to put their faith goggles on and change the perception from physical to spiritual. 
As a consequence of their rebellion, the children of Israel were sent back into the wilderness for 40 years. Those who were 20 years old and upward would die in the wilderness and not ever come into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb from that generation would enter and claim what God said was theirs. However, there are times when we go looking for our faith glasses and we want to see through the eyes of faith, but we can't find them. In the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a woman named Hannah. Hannah was one of two wives. My assumption is because of the order, the order that, that the wives are introduced to us is that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. However, because Hannah could not bear children, Elkanah had taken a second wife who bore him children. Every year, Elkanah took his family to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord. The Bible tells us that Elkanah loved Hannah. Every year when he served the helpings from the sacrificial meal, he always gave Hannah a larger portion than the other members of his family. This partiality was obvious to the other wife, and she caused Hannah much grief, constantly reminding her that she had the children and that Hannah had none. She irritated Hannah continually and caused Hannah to despair. Her life was miserable. Empty and without purpose. Her childless state plagued her and was made even more obvious at the time of year they went to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice. How she must have dreaded going every year. When the time would come to begin making preparations for travel, how her anxiety levels would have increased, knowing what she was about to go through. Every year, Paniah's jealousy of Alcana's special attention or affection for Hannah would motivate her to cause Hannah as much angst as she could till she brought Hannah to tears. Paniah, the second wife, would not allow Hannah to see past her physical situation. You may be loved, but you are barren. Although Hannah believed in God, her vision was impaired by the constant berating by her adversary. It was too difficult to change her perspective and switch between that which was physical, her childless state, and that which was spiritual to trust God with her situation. Hannah had misplaced her faith glasses and all she could see what was what was right in front of her and all she could hear was Paniah tormenting her. First Samuel 1 and 8, Alcanah attempts to comfort Hannah and get her to eat. She wouldn't eat. I don't believe Alcanah was unaware of her grief every other year that they went. I believe he noticed and every year he felt helpless. There was nothing he could do to fix it. But this year he had to say something. And he says, isn't the love of a husband better than ten sons? I believe at this point something was triggered in Hannah. Because she pulled herself together and she ate. And then when all the eating and the drinking was done, she slipped away into the sanctuary and she poured her heart out to God. 
First Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 to 18, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto the handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, the priest, marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart and only her lips moved, her voice, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, or for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaiden find grace in thy sight. So the woman went away and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Hannah left Shiloh that year with her faith glasses on, in quiet confidence that God had heard her cry. She would no longer be sad. Her situation didn't immediately change. She would go home to the same circumstances. However, this year, she claimed a promise that would change the way she perceived her predicament. She would no longer allow Paniah to upset her. She was determined to look beyond what was in front of her and see the promise of God fulfilled. Looking through the lenses of faith, she had a clearer picture and a greater understanding. She didn't know when it would happen, but she knew it would take place. And verse 20 tells us that it came to pass. Hannah conceived and bare a son and called his name Samuel. Our senses belong to this physical body and can often get the best of us, especially when we're worn out. Then we, be most, then we become most vulnerable. This is the human condition. Although we may see both sides of the same picture, constantly changing our perspective to switch between the two, that can be exhausting. Even the greatest of prophets is subject to the flawed thinking of the human condition. Elijah was weary. And like most of us, when he got weary, his perspective wasn't very spiritual at all. He was very focused on the physical realm and how he felt. Yes, he had just been in great services where fire fell from heaven. He had been victorious and slaughtered 40, 450 prophets of Baal. He had announced to the king that rain was coming and then he climbed a mountain and prayed for the rain to come. And the hand of the Lord then caused him to run ahead of the king and get to Jezreel before him. And that's there he received the news that Jezebel had threatened to kill him. The Bible says that when he saw that, he rose and went for his life. Let me see what I've done here. Elijah, Hannah's vision of the spiritual perspective of her life was clouded by what she saw and perceived to be true and what she heard. Elijah's vision was clouded by what he felt and what he saw. 
Elijah left his servant in Beersheba and went a day's journey into the wilderness where he told God he's had enough. 1 Kings 19 and 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. The Lord was merciful to Elijah, even in his woeful mindset. I'm so glad he knows our frame, that he knows what I'm made of and how much we can take. The angel of the Lord ministered to Elijah and came and fed him twice. And Elijah went 40 days and 40 nights on that meal and he traveled to Horeb. And there the voice of the Lord spoke to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God knows exactly what Elijah was doing there. He knows exactly the frame of mind he was in and how his vision had been impaired by his weariness. However, God wasn't finished with Elijah yet. He still had kings to anoint and Elisha to train as his protege. Every situation and circumstance in the life of a child of God, there are always two perspectives represented. We can choose to see through the eyes of faith or choose not to accept the situation and choose to or choose not to not to and accept the situation for what it is when we see through the eyes of faith and focus on the spiritual we do not ignore the physical in fact we acknowledge it but are able to change our perception and see the other side when we do not wear our faith glasses our perspective becomes unclear and all we can see is that which is obvious During a drought in Samaria, while Ahab was still king, Elijah was instructed by the Lord to go to Zarephath and dwell there. I have commanded a widow woman to sustain me. When he gets there, he sees a widow woman gathering sticks and he calls her and asks for a glass of water. And as she was going, he calls and asks for some bread. It would seem that the woman hadn't received the communication from the Lord, asking her to take care of Elijah when he arrived. Please find a checking clothes to cover costs. She wasn't expecting to feed a prophet. She turns to Elijah and gives him the cold, hard facts. I don't have a cake. I only have a handful of meal and a little bit of oil. I'm going to mix it, bake a cake, split it between me and my son, and then we're going to die. Now, Elijah knows something she doesn't. He's looking at this situation. He not only sees the obvious... But he knows something supernatural is about to take place. First Kings 17, 13 and 14. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. Make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after make thee, make thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of milk shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail. Until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Elijah hands her a set of faith glasses. I know it looks bad, but put these on. Maybe you'll see a little clearer. The widow chose to obey the word of the Lord that came by the prophet and she fed the man of God first. And it was just as he said. When she returned to the barrel, there was a little bit of flour. And when she went to the cruise, there was a little bit of oil. And she made another cake. And her and her son ate. 
And then she went back to the barrel and it wasn't empty. There was some more barrel, there was some more flour there and there was always oil until the day it rained. I wonder if they put on weight. Everybody else around them is like, you know, wasting away to a shadow and they're walking around all plump. I don't know. <laughs> That's just my way of thinking. Sorry. <laughs> like any other way of living, it takes effort and energy to establish new habits. It is especially wearying because we are constantly must fight against the influence of our sinful nature. Our mind is not renewed overnight. We still have moments when our vision is impaired. We still have times we just can't seem to find our faith glasses. And try as we might, we can see, all we can see is one perspective, and that's the obvious one. We cannot see the duck for the rabbit. We are not refusing to see the other and be rebellious like the children of Israel. We just can't see. In those times, like Hannah, we keep going to Shiloh to worship. Even when we feel our heart isn't in it. But it will happen that there will come a time in the sanctuary when you will leave with your faith glasses on, seeing clearly and being able to change the perception and switch between the two views. Once you can see both perspectives, do the best you can to use the ability in every situation. Allow your mind to be renewed by the word of God. Allow him to change how you think so that when your senses gather information, and your brain processes it, processes it, it fuses the two perspectives together, physical and spiritual. So you can respond with greater depth and understanding. When the Lord gives you a specific promise, stay focused and hold on to it. Don't allow the giants to discourage you. Don't allow a negative report to kill it. Don't allow a jealous Paniah to trap you in a comparison game and strip it away from you. Don't allow how you feel to overpower it. Always, always obey the word of the Lord and see how God will fulfill his promise to you. Sister Cass, if you would come. And why don't we stand this evening? Keep your faith glasses on. When I have my faith glasses on, I can see details that are not evident with the physical eye. I can see the duck and the rabbit. I'm aware of both the physical and